Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Winding up the week here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Friday, January 22nd. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Talking a little Gamecocks to head into your weekend. Hope everybody's doing well here as the month of January has just flown by. Uh, Gamecocks today officially, uh, I guess it was official tomorrow, yesterday with the breaking news, but now that everything's signed and in place, rounding out the coaching staff with Greg Atkins as the offensive line coach, veteran SEC guy, NFL guy, his coach for some of the really good gurus uh, that coach offensive line out there. Um, really solid hire. Uh, and certainly a guy that uh, I think uh, is a good recruiter. Uh, I know some that just want to look at the Wikipedia page and say, ah, or, uh, you know, uh, do what I call the message board story. Uh, just like with Will Friend, some of you swore because he read it on the Tennessee message board from their fans that Will Friend was fired. Uh, and then lo and behold, Will Friend had to pay Tennessee a buyout. So if he's fired, why did he have to pay a buyout? Uh, so there's the fan story, the message board story sometimes, and then there's the truth. And I think this whole thing with Oklahoma State and him getting fired because of recruiting is a, a false narrative. I think maybe it just wasn't a fit under Mike Gundy out there. Uh, but Greg Atkins at every stop has been a really good recruiter and a recruiting coordinator. So you have to have you know, some sort of recruiting chops to do that. Uh, and, and I think – you know, given his track record, it's it's a good hire. And uh, he knows Marcus Satterfield, obviously, and Shane Beamer. Uh, so I think it's a good hire. I also know this. I, I think that offensive line coach is a tough job. It doesn't matter who you are. I said this when they hired Friend. I said this when people want to blast Eric, would want to blast Eric Wolford the last three or four years. I said it when people uh, completely trashed Sean Elliott. It is difficult to coach offensive line in this league unless you were Alabama and you have just studs, even, and I keep going back to even Georgia with all those elite guys uh, with um, Sam Pittman coaching them, who's one of the best in the country. You know, they had games where they got whipped up front and that just happens. Uh, So that's the bottom line uh, when it comes to offensive line hires. I do think the Gamecocks have one that makes sense. I know he's excited to be at South Carolina. I know his lines at Marshall were very, very good. Uh, and really, he's got a, a really good track record. So, uh, you know, we'll see kind of uh, how all that goes. Gamecocks have <clears throat> now, I think, uh, from the Thundering Herd staff under Doc Holliday, you, you got Greg Atkins coming in. Uh, you do have um, uh, the Luke Day the strength coach coming from uh, Marshall University. Uh, and you, you have a – he hired a uh, an assistant. And um, I don't know why that's not showing up here. Oh, here we go. Third assistant to the strength staff, um, Nate Cedergren, um, who was on his staff at Marshall. So the strength staff is sort of uh, rounded out. You have Byron Gerardo, former Gamecock. You have Chip Morton, 27-year NFL strength veteran, and then Sattergren. So that's uh, that's how it's going uh, for Carolina right now in the strength department. 
And so that's a, another guy from Marshall. So it's two strength coaches and the offensive line coach coming from the thundering herd uh, up there in the Huntington, West Virginia as part of uh, Shane Beamer's staff. So that, that kind of rounded it out. Um, basketball tomorrow, a noon tip with Auburn. Uh, it seems like, I guess, every time Carolina loses a game now, you're going to have Frank on the hot seat talk. Uh, not sure that's fair given the the COVID situation. Um, I really actually don't think it is. Uh, not so much that, you know, hey, you know, COVID's ruined the season. I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll end up ruining the season because I think they've had so many games canceled that, you know, they could have been successful for basketball, such a streaky game anyway. When you get hot, you get hot. Um, and and so you lose those opportunities. And so nobody knows what this team would have done in the non-conference. And the net ranking, um, if the NCAA, as I expect them to do, because they never do anything that's completely fair, continues to use that to seed the tournament, it's going to be hard unless the Gamecocks go on like – and this can work both ways because I think in some ways, you know, you need an eight game, something like that winning streak or going to go eight out of 10 or something like that. So, so that's, you know, that's tough to do. But then number two is uh, if you do that, you don't really, I mean, your work is almost done. Cause I mean, you probably get in, you know, cause you're sitting there with an 11 and six record and a high winning percentage and, and a lot of quality wins and all that. So we'll see kind of how it goes. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to just give up on the season. I mean, there's a lot of games left. This team has shown the ability to play good basketball. Uh, I think it kind of sucks because people are going to hold the Liberty game against him. Although Liberty's a good basketball team. Uh, and then the Houston game uh, against him. But, you know, you, you drop those two games in the non-conference and don't have – I mean, it's not like there's a continuation of the dumb losses like you had, you know, uh, who was Stetson beating them last year. Uh, and I don't think Carolina's lost to a bad team yet. Houston, Liberty, Missouri on the road, LSU on the road, those are all good basketball teams. You know, so Carolina hasn't lost to a bad team yet. So we'll see kind of how it all goes. I don't want to give up. But, yeah, I think we're at the point now where every game is going to be with a loss, fire Frank, with a win, good job, move on to the next one, that kind of thing, just in terms of the fans. Uh, and I don't know that there's – you know, you're wrong in doing that. I, I do think this fan base at times in basketball doesn't understand that basketball is not an undefeated sport. You know, bat football is. Football is a sport where, you know, you need to go undefeated <laughs> if you possibly can, and every loss is a huge loss. Basketball is not really that way. But, uh, you know, well, you, it's all, it's more about getting hot at the right time. So this is the right time, I think, for the Gamecocks to get hot. Uh, Auburn coming to town. They lost this week uh, their earlier game. I think they're sitting at eight and seven. You know, so Bruce Pearl historically has struggled. Uh, against South Carolina, um, not so much a couple of years ago, but uh, and then last year in Auburn, I think maybe Auburn now that they, they won in the SEC tournament, then they won down there last year. I think they're on a two-game win streak in the series, uh, but it's in Colonial Life Arena, and we'll see kind of how all that goes. South Carolina certainly a winnable game. Noon tip tomorrow to see if the Gamecocks can get back on track. 
uh, here in this weird COVID basketball year. So we'll see sort of what happens there. So coaching staff and football is done. We got basketball tomorrow. Uh, you know, I've uh, I, I was on locked on the Gamecocks earlier today with Keith. We talked about a lot of uh, staff hires and things like that. Very good episode. If you're a Patreon uh, or patron of his podcast, go check it out. Uh, did get some information today about Eric Shaw, uh, who will be a freshman again next year. As everybody, like I said, got a redshirt year, free year. Their clock doesn't happen. Uh, it's to be determined as to whether he goes back to offense or stays on defense. If you remember, they moved him to outside linebacker when it seemed like the entire linebacking core got hurt. So, you know, you look at it that way, um, and uh, I don't know if you would call it an official move or not, uh, but there is a chance he goes back to tight end. I Personally, I think the guy could be really good on either side. Um, I liked his get off and ability to rush the passer and things like that on defense a little better, but I'm intrigued by his possibilities athletically on offense. So, and offense really needs more playmakers. So we'll see what happens with all of that. But uh, that was a little tidbit I picked up today, kind of when doing a little bit of a dive into the tight end and H back position and the, the, uh, what, you know, like with Jordan Strong coming in, from Georgia State, he's kind of built like Eric Shaw, <clears throat> that six four, rangy kind of guy, you know. So you could conceivably see, you know, when you watch to see what they do with Jordan this year, that's probably what they'll do with Eric if he stays on defense. So uh, just kind of was digging into all that and the personnel on tight end and all that good stuff. Did check with some contacts and and they said Shaw is kind of up in the air as far as where he plays, but they love him. They love his athleticism. They love him as a player. Uh, so check that out. Uh, I think that's in my Q&A on thebigspur.com today, filling in for Tony Morell. I did some, what's called an AMA where I'll go through and it just ask me anything. Uh, and uh, I put up a thread. And, like There was all a lot of questions. Some of them are fun and funny. A lot of them are serious. You know, so we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see if, if, if those of you that aren't members become members. Go check it out. We'll see what you think. Curious to see all of that. We have some mailbag questions today, and that, that's really the reason why I jumped on and wanted to knock out an episode today. Not a whole lot of news, just things being finalized. Looking forward to the weekend for basketball. But, but I'm going to tell you this, it, you know, this deal is, uh, you know, it's user-driven at times. Um, by the way, very sad news today, Hank Aaron dying. I'm kind of a lifelong Braves fan, so it's like, you know, why – why is this, uh, you know, <laughs> why is this uh, happening the, on the week Don Sutton dies? So it, it was really tough because, you know, Hank Aaron was one of the first athletes, uh, I think, that, you know, my parents talked about when I was a kid. And, um, you know, 86, lived a long life, obviously, you know, a record setter, Hall of Famer, all that good stuff. But uh, a guy that will be missed in the sports world. And that's kind of tough. So I wanted to mention that real quick, but this is user user driven. And um, it's a deal where uh, if you guys have questions, I definitely want to answer them and get them out. And that leads to the best discussion. Sometimes, like I said, didn't have much here for the episode today. Uh, so going to go kind of straight to the mailbag. 
Again, to get to the mailbag inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Be sure to follow that Twitter account, too. We're up to, you know, almost, shoot, 500 followers on Inside the Gamecocks. So uh, be sure to go follow that. We appreciate all that. Um, this comes in from at the Real K Hill. And he says, Jay, uh, at the Big Spur Pod, or other. You mentioned several times and for many years when Muschamp took over that it was year zero, and that's true. Would you say the same thing about Beamer? Thanks and love the show. I would not. Um, I, I don't believe that when you look across the roster and you, and you look and you see kind of who's coming back and the potential some of those guys have and the athleticism they have, I, I don't believe that it is a, a, a situation like Muschamp inherited. Uh, and, and nobody wants to hear anything positive about Will Muschamp. Good Lord. You know, people are trashing people like Mike Peterson simply because they coach with Will Muschamp. Uh, I saw the other day somebody was like, just, you know, just wish they'd have just cleaned house, you know, with with Peterson and Des Kitchings both. I'm like, listen, dude, I, I, I've thought Des Kitchings should be the running backs coach at South Carolina, one of their top recruiters since 2012. And had they made that, Hire and not made the mistake of hiring Everett Sands over Des Kitchings. Had they done that, uh, South Car- we may still be talking about the Spurrier era, okay? Because that's how good of a recruiter and good of an assistant he is. He was at Carolina one season, uh, you know, so so poo on all that, man. Come on. Um, and look, there, there's not, you know, there are some things Muschamp did well, and that first season was one of them. Because it was year zero, and you look at it, you know, who who did they inherit at receiver? Debo Samuel, who had never, ever gotten through a season healthy and wasn't healthy for the, a chunk of that season. Uh, true freshman Brian Edwards is coming in. Uh, a true freshman, and Chavis Dawkins was the number three receiver. And then Casey Crosby uh, had to catch a bunch of passes. And then Hayden Hurst had never played tight end before, so you had to develop him into a tight end. And then the, the quarterbacks were two true freshmen and a walk-on. And then the best running back on the team was a true freshman. And, you know, and then you had David Williams and A.J. Turner. Mon Denson really get better until the next year, and they brought in Tyson Williams. Uh, the offensive line was a disappointment. A lot of veteran players that weren't, you know, very good. So, so the offense just had hardly anybody. Linebacker on defense was an issue. You know, the secondary, uh, D.J. Smith, who couldn't cover a bucket of water at times, had to play safety a lot. You had Steven Montag back there as a just-got-here guy from junior college. You know, Jamarcus King, uh, junior college guy, came in, had some games that were outstanding. Uh, the Tennessee game comes to mind, and this had some games he was awful. <laughs> he made plays, at least. You know, not a lot of pass rush. On that team, I mean it. It you know that that was a tough situation. Muschamp walked into. Now, as time went on, we came to realize you know the next year and, and, and down the road that you know Debo Samuel's NFL guy, Brian Edwards NFL guy, Hayden Hurst NFL guy. They added Shy Smith the next year, Rico Dowdle NFL guy, um, and so. We sort of realized, well, yeah, it was year zero, but, you know, the guys he brought in and, and the guys that they moved to the right position, like Hayden Hurst, um, and then the guys that became healthy all of a sudden, like Debo Samuel, 
pretty good players. You know, I don't think anybody had an in new. So with Beamer, I, I think with the guys they've gotten from the portal combined with the guys that are coming back, there's some more, there's more potential there across the board. Um, you know, there are some spots they're thin. Uh, the secondary and wide receiver come to mind, maybe a little bit of linebacker. But uh, there's more to work with. Beamer has more to work with than, than Muschamp did. Um, I don't know if Beamer will go six and six because physically and 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 personnel-wise and, and talent-wise, they're in better shape. But, you know, that group that, that he inherited, that, that Muschamp inherited – you know, a lot of those guys were on teams that went eleven and two, or a team that, you know, went seven and six and beat Florida, Georgia, and Miami in the same season, or a team that even though they were three and nine, took a bunch of teams to the wire, including Clemson, single digit losses. Um, so I think there was a lot of the Spurrier mentality left over. Uh, the guys Beamers inheriting mentally uh, are a little shell shocked, you know, and, and and a little they need some confidence. And stuff like that, but I do not think it's fair to call it a year zero situation. But uh, thanks, Cahill, for the uh, for the question. I just retweeted it on the Twitter account, so you know that we got to it on today's episode. Again, at the Big Spur Pod, just tweet right at you. Uh, be sure to follow that account uh, as well. You can also email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, and that's exactly where I'm going to now. Jason says, JC, I love the podcast. It helps the workday go by having some great Gamecock talk. Three questions today. Number one, how important is the more hire for the healing of the locker room that keeps being referred to? I feel like he is a huge part of the plan Beamer is trying to sell. I feel like Beamer is trying to set up a very long-term program, more so than any coach I can remember in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think um, – when you're establishing a culture, guys like Derek Moore are very important. Guys like Luke Day are very important. Uh, guys like Eric Kimry and Justin Stepp and Dez Kitchings and Mark. I mean, all these guys are very important. Uh, I do think, though, as I said yesterday, I've said many times, you know, I'm not going to apologize for hyping the Derek Moore hire. <laughs> uh, it's not hyperbole for me to say South Carolina hired the Nick Saban as far as the the guys that do what Derek does in college football. Uh, and those guys do make a difference. You know, uh, Georgia Tech wasn't just upsetting teams because Paul Johnson was out there inspiring them to go play the option and cut block and play resourceful defense. They, There, there were some, some secret sauce there uh, for sure. And I, I think you, even to this day, you talk about a year zero situation, what Jeff Collins inherited at Tech. You know, even last year they went out and, it wasn't for lack of effort. They beat Miami, which should have probably had – Manny Diaz probably should have been fired on the spot for that. Uh, if not that, losing to FIU and Louisiana Tech during the season. Uh, and Duke probably should have gotten him. But anyway, the U is on the right track now. Uh, you know, went out and beat Georgia Tech, beat NC, or Georgia Tech beat Miami, beat NC State. Uh, and then this year opened the season with a win at Florida State. Uh, I think they beat Louisville. I mean, that there's, you know, Georgia Tech, it, it, there's been some moments where they've jumped up and bit people. I think it gets lost on Gamecock fans just a little bit because whereas Tech used to routinely beat Clemson, especially when it was in Atlanta, 
that stopped as uh, Brent Venables figured out how to defend the option. Probably better as well as anyone in the country. So Venables just they just started stuffing them, and uh, that Georgia Tech Clemson game has not been close since. And it was ugly in Atlanta this year for sure. And I know Georgia Tech doesn't want the option anymore, but uh, there's a reason why. So Gamecock for Gamecock fans, they probably don't you know realize as much how Tech sometimes will Georgia Tech will up and beat somebody. But I think it's very to answer your question, it's very important. I think, like I said, they they hired the Nick Saban of the guys that do what Derek Moore does. Uh, number two, what are some things around the stadium you would like to see to acknowledge our uniqueness? I saw someone post something about naming the trees in the farmer's market after all Americans we've had. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, name whatever you want. The trees or statues. Hall of Champions would be great. Or Hall of Hall of Fame right there would be great. Uh, you know, maybe – in the uh, in the south end zone area, if there's room, or outside, or something like that, or that parking lot uh, behind the east stands where you've got some nice standalone bathrooms, you know, right there in that parking lot, you could probably put a little Hall of Fame. I, I you know, I continue to believe, as I have since uh, probably the '90s, that South Carolina in Williams Bryce Stadium. The marching band and the students need to be in the end zone where the visitors currently sit. That's the acoustically loudest point in the stadium. How many people remember hearing Rocky Top over and over and over again in 2001 um, while the Gamecock band was in the end zone? Now they moved the Gamecock band over. Uh, I just think you put those, you put everybody over there. Uh, it, it's a compet- more of a competitive advantage now, and you, know, you put the visitors in the end zone. Now, I get why the students are usually in the end zone and in that corner because that's the closest walk, you know, to the to the fairgrounds, and it's, it's stumbling distance, as we used to say. But I, I, I that, that's one thing I would have done tomorrow uh, in terms of of making the the stadium a little bit better. But look, man, let's just let's be honest. It, it's it's loud. Uh, if it's packed and the Gamecocks are playing well, it's plenty loud. So, you know, that may be – I may be being picky, but I would just like to see that. All right, third question coming in from Jason. My brother's name's Jason. That's a heck of a name. I think my grandfather – my grandfather on my mom's side, Jason as well. Family name. Favorite watering hole in five points when you were in college. And best story you can tell from them about five points. Okay, so <laughs> – so one time, um, I'm trying to think of a story I can actually tell and not get in trouble. So that wasn't illegal. One time, a friend of mine who actually passed away a few years ago, rest his soul, bought a dog from a homeless person in Five Points uh, about three o'clock in the morning. We were drunk, and I actually gave him thirty dollars. Thirty dollars back in. 1999 was probably more like 70 now, I guess, you know, in terms of how you could have a good time. Uh, and, and, you know, I had roommates and stuff. This, this was my friend, not my roommate. He brings the dog in. There were cats. It was a big mess. Had to take the dog to the pound. I felt so bad. Uh, I didn't have a dog at the time and really wasn't an animal lover like I am now, but it's just like the, the audacity of, 
borrowing thirty dollars and going and paying a a homeless person uh thirty bucks for a doll i mean come on man i yeah, just it's just all kinds of wrong um I remember several times walking out of uh ooh, what's the place over there um is it bar none is it bar none I don't know uh Whatever bar in five points um, that's open all night. It's bar nine, right? Bar nine is, is right there, open all night. Yeah, bar nine. <laughs> and the sun's up. Then they're playing darts. Uh, I liked group therapy a whole lot now because Steve Tannehill owns it now. I encourage everybody to go there, um, you know, if you can, uh, if you're that age, because, you know, older folks go in there. It's kind of tough. Uh I lived at Place on the Green because so Tavern on Green uh, was right across the hall. And the guy that owned that, his name was John. It was a great guy. Big Gamecock. Uh, I think my favorite place, though, uh, to go in five points was uh, – and it was it was only this called this for a while. It's called Dr. Rocco's for a little while. Uh, and I met my first wife. She was in a, a sorority, and her and her sisters, quote-unquote, used to – roll into Dr. Rocco's, drink those frou-frou drinks or whatever. And so we, we started having kind of the last year I was in Columbia, we, we had a good bunch of happy hours there. Uh, and so I, I would really, I, I'm really a fan uh, of Dr. Rocco's. And I guess that's where I hung out the most. Now, later in life, when I go back, you know, Jake's is a place I've hit up before Polly's back porch, you know, for some starter beers or whatever, but Obviously, being a grown man, <laughs> you know, if I go out these days, it's in the Vista, you know, when I'm back. Uh, and I certainly like a lot of places there. But, yeah, thanks for the thanks for the questions. I, I certainly appreciate that. But that, that dog story, I could tell other stories, but I'm not going to tell them on the podcast. How about – how does that sound, Jason? Um, appreciate all your questions there, man. Uh so Mark sends in a picture of the uh, one of the Lord of the Rings, the Sean Astin character of the Hobbit, and says the Fellowship of the Miserable. <laughs> that's classic. That's classic. I'm going to tweet that because that's awesome. Um, and I appreciate that, Mark. That's pretty funny. So uh, there you go with that. Mark also has some football questions. Says it's been a long time since I emailed, but wanted to get your thoughts on the potential of the defense in 2021, particularly the front seven or front six. Since this is a four-two-five, seems like the transfer portal has been kind to us with the additions of Green and Strong and Debo Williams. I agree. Here, here's my best guess right now, um, and and so here, here's the question: Is Strong going to be a starter? And and is and is he? And I've watched film on him and watched his plays that where he rushes the passer. Uh, is he an every down linebacker? Could you play him at will and walk it, walk him up? Um, you know, is he a starter at linebacker or is he a, a pass rusher? You know, strictly because you got another guy like that, Aaron Sterling, which you can potentially put together some very creative pass rushing packages on obvious passing downs. But here's how I see it, and, and, and this this sets up you know, pretty good. So, so let's say, you know, let's say Sherrod green 
who I feel could be a better Mike linebacker than a Will linebacker uh, or, or Rosendo Lewis or whoever uh, is one linebacker. And then, you know, or Mohamed Kaba at Mike. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be a Mike or a Will. I think he's a Will, but he could be a Mike um, in this system because it's different. And then you have Strawn. And let's say Eric Shaw stays on D and is that position and maybe throw a Brad Johnson in there. Maybe, maybe Brad Johnson needs to play with his hand in the dirt. I don't know. And so those are your linebackers. You still don't know what you're going to get with Rosendo Lewis. Daryl Ware is a serviceable walk on, Um, you know, you have Shaw, like I mentioned, Sherrod Green, Damani Staley will play a factor at the mic. Uh, I think he's a good backup guy and special teams guy. Uh, You know, so if you look at it uh, right there, there's your linebackers, and it's probably a good thing that South Carolina is going to a 4-2-5 because they don't have a ton of linebackers. Now, you mentioned Debo Williams. There's the wild card, okay, because that guy may be good enough to start as a – and you got to look at him even though he's a transfer as a true freshman because he's got five to play five. Uh, I think he and, and Paulding, Spalding, Paulding, David Spalding, Spalding both. So, so these guys are essentially like true freshmen. They have the exact amount. I mean, it's just like them coming out of high school. Um, so that's uh, that's one of those things. I, and also, I, I forgot this guy's name. And then these two guys, too, Rodriguez Fitton and Gilbert Edmond. I mean, what do you do with these guys? These were the Bucks. Do you do you tell Rodriguez, you know, he's an end now, just a straight up end, and let him go rush the passer? Natural ability in that department, um, kind of like Brad Johnson. Uh, with Edmond, do you do you put thirty pounds on him and say you're going to be a six foot five, two hundred sixty pound end? You know, those are questions that have to be answered. Uh, by Clayton White and by Mike Peterson and those guys. So uh, we'll see sort of what happens with those, with the true Bucks. Uh, Spencer Easton Riddle coming back, I do not know. I hope he does. I think that guy's a stud. Um, I know he didn't play a lot and he's a walk-on and all that. People may be rolling their eyes, but uh, he gets out there and makes plays. Uh, you ask about Jamar Brown. Uh, what's he going to be? I, I kind of think this is a guy that can play spur. That spur position. I also think uh, if he's your best Will linebacker, he needs to be on the field at Will linebacker. Uh, I think he went healthy. He's too fast, too athletic, makes too many plays. Um, so we'll see kind of how all that goes down. It, it could go a number of ways. I'm just spitballing on Sherrod Green, whatever. You know, it'd be great if Rosendo Lewis gets healthy and is a, is a baller at middle linebacker. And then you have all kinds of possibilities. Uh, with these guys, and all of a sudden, this group doesn't seem as as lean as maybe it once was. But you know, with, with Strawn and with an Eric Shaw, if, if he stays on defense, you know, those would be my two questions uh, as far as you know how truly the linebackers will shape out. But then uh, check this out. So on the four man front, when you're talking about a one gap scheme, uh, you're talking about getting Enigbare and Birch on the field at the same time. Uh, Aaron Sterling is back, who started however many games and is a good pass rusher. On the interior, you got Zach Pickens probably at one D tackle. Then the other one will be Jabari Ellis or uh, Jakeem Green or Rick Sandage with one of these guys back and the other up. Boogie Huntley comes back. 
uh, for this, his freshman year do-over kind of deal, like everybody's getting. Uh, you also have uh, a Tonka Hemingway, who I thought – and Tonka Hemingway may be a starter. Uh, you just don't know. Uh, Tonka Hemingway, good player. MJ Webb comes back as a junior do-over guy. Um, you know, I do not see Dev- Devontae Davis. I do see him. Uh, six, measured in 6'3", 290, had some issues uh, that he's getting back with. So I hadn't heard anything about him leaving. Uh, so Devontae Davis could end up being a player on the inside. Plus you got Nick Barrett coming in uh, who could definitely uh, be a ball player this year. So I, I, I think uh, – and T.J. Sanders, don't forget about him. So uh, D-line-wise, you know, you got some guys to work with. Uh, and so the front seven, if they figure out the linebacker, who's a linebacker, uh, who's a spur, who's going to be a DPR, which is a down pass rusher, uh, I think I think the front seven could be fine. I think the secondary needs numbers and players, uh, period. But you're right, uh, Mark, that the transfer portal has been pretty good in this department. It says, any other potential transfers out there that could help us at safety? Uh, I'm, I'm positive they're trying to look for help back there. I don't know which way it'll come from. Uh, I think if they can hold on to the Jawan Gaston kid, he can come in and immediately help, but – I mean, you know, you, 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 you're looking at the secondary, man. Guys have to step up. I mean, Jalen Dickerson, it's time to roll, you know. <laughs> uh, Cam Smith needs to take a step. Joey Hunter's been promising. Dominic Hill, uh, you know, O'Donnell Fortune. Uh, Jalen Foster can give you some reps. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get out of Darius Rush. Uh, you know, but the, and then you got a lot of guys coming in. You know, I think – just looking at the film and because there isn't film on Marcellus dial uh, and everybody kind of missed their season this year. Uh, you just don't know, but you know, Marcellus dial is an older guy that should be able to come in and compete. Um, I think Isaiah Norris on film, evaluating them both. I like him better than dial. Uh, I'm curious to see what he weighs in at when he gets to Carolina, but I think that guy can play. Uh, you know, David Spalding, just like Daryl Williams, is a player that you have to consider as a true freshman because uh, he, you know, he played a little at Georgia Southern, but he gets that year over. So he's got his whole career in front of him at Carolina. Uh, I'll tell you this. I don't know if he starts or plays or does much next year, but I know they love his upside. And Torian Gray is going to max him out. Torian Gray has got his hands full. Uh, of all the, the coaches on defense, uh, he has by far the worst situation which is frustrating because, you know, it's, it's been kind of weird. Uh, and I'll say this, and, and I probably need to point this out on the website. It seemed like every year where numbers in the secondary were not, were less of a concern, the secondary played worse during the Muschamp era. I mean, numbers and depth were a huge issue 2016, 2017. Uh, in 2018, everybody got hurt, so it didn't matter. So, you know, then this year that they had players and, and guys with experience. Um, you know, RJ, I forgot about RJ Rodder. He's coming back. I think you pencil him in as a spur. And, and I think it's a different ball game for RJ playing that spot. And and I don't know for sure that they're going to call it the spur, but I think it's a different ball game him playing that spot. 
versus uh, safety or then that game that they played him. They played him just at like true linebacker. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what happens there. So there's parts. It's just, it just has to work out. So we'll see ultimately what, what happens. I'm also curious to see, you know, Mike Peterson has the DNs and outside backers. Is the spur type position, is that going to be an outside backer or is that going to be a, a DB? You know, what, you know, because it's, it's a four, two, five, but it's not like he's, he's not running Ellis Johnson's defense. He's running his defense, Clayton White. So we'll see what happens there. But I, I think there's a potential to take a step forward. That's all I'm willing to say. Uh, and I know a step forward could still mean Carolina struggles on that side of the ball, but there's some potential there. I think simplifying the scheme going out and the defensive players looking like they and acting like and playing like they enjoy putting on the pads and playing football because you have to love defense. One thing Muschamp said, he's absolutely right about it. you got to stick your face in the fan and like it. And you got to love playing. Uh, and this defense far too often the last few years uh, has looked like they just don't want to play. Yeah, well, you know, we, we, I know our offense just drove the 80 yards and took the lead. But, man, oh, man, we're just going to bust this assignment. And, you know, defensively it's been tough. And it's almost like many times when entire sides of the ball play that way, you know, and, and everybody's kind of guilty, it's usually because they're confused. And I, I know Muschamp's defense is is, is a, a good scheme, solid scheme. Uh, people can run it. But um, it's also a situation where maybe it was a little too complex for the players they had or have. In uh, Carolina, you know, when they've had good defenses over the years, it hadn't been too complex. Ellis Johnson ran a basic, you know, Defense they run at some high schools, but they got it down really quick. He had really smart players uh, in terms of how to play instinctively, and they all and and that defense played extremely fast, extremely fast. Uh, and Ellis was masterful at making the calls. So uh, I kind of feel like Clayton White's defense is is not too complex. It's versatile and aggressive. Uh, and they have some players that can go make plays. Uh, you know, I think they just have to play free and play confident. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for the uh, the fellowship of the miserable pitch. Um, so there's another Jason. No, not that's a that's a double. Jason, did you send this twice? Maybe so. All right. So final question of the day, and I guess this is going to be a shorter segment. Comes in from Eric, JC. Hope all is well. Glad the coaching staff is finally completed. Looking forward to the future for the first time in a while. You're right. Um, I think a lot of people feel as you do. Uh, I think from the Florida game in 2018 on, um, as you saw the results come in week to week, you sort of knew what was inevitable. Um, You know, North Carolina game in 2019 – uh, the, the final, final straw for me was Tennessee in 2019. Um, I was happy that, you know, Will Muschamp was the coach during COVID and some of the social unrest this summer because like a lot of things that Will Muschamp did, uh, I think he did a good job. Carolina didn't have a lot of players opting out. They didn't have a lot of players 
like other a lot of the issues other schools had and you know i guess that wasn't <laughs> i guess that didn't matter because they turned around and went two and eight but uh you know i, I think it's tough and I, and I think it's unfortunate too because you know a play here or there against tennessee and carolina starts three and one and the florida loss was no nothing to be shameful about when you consider you know they beat a lot of other teams a lot worse than they beat carolina um you know, maybe you have a different outcome with certain situations. But that was the must-champ era in a nutshell. Every time you had hope, the rug got pulled out from under you, and you can only take that so much. So I think you feel the way a lot of people do, and rightfully so. I think Ray Tanner might have made a really good hire this time around, but only time will tell for sure. Yes, that's – you know, hiring a guy with no track record sometimes is better than hiring a guy with – uh, a mediocre or, or iffy track record because that doesn't, you know, and I think all the time, and I stand by this, I, I think Carolina had hired Kirby Smart. We wouldn't have seen, probably would not have seen the results Muschamp had the first three years. It, it, it probably would have gotten pretty bad. Uh, and that's nothing against Kirby Smart. He's got a great job and is doing well at his alma mater. Obviously, the results speak for themselves, but that's a different situation he walked into that if he'd have taken, taken Carolina. But I don't think people would have held it against Kirby as much because there wasn't that Florida albatross. Um, but, you know, you want to talk about offensive coordinator hires. <laughs> shoo, shoo, buddy. Uh, I think Ray read it, blah, 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 time would tell. Uh, I know people like to hate on Ray. Oh, well, they obviously do. I've been defending him all day on the message board, but that's fine. But I wish they would just wait and see how Kingston and Beamer turn out before they determine he's a bad AD. And, and, and I agree with the people that – I mean, Ray needs Beamer and, and Kingston to turn out. He needed Muschamp to turn out, but that was his first hire um, in football. Uh, because, you know, one of the things ADs are judged on is their ability to make good hires. That's why people are cutting bat flips in Knoxville right now because Danny White – you look at Buffalo and you look at UCF and, and he's batting like 900. Now there's only a couple of ADs in the country that, that have done that. Uh, Jeremy Foley didn't do that. Tom Jurich made a bad hire or two. Um, you know, they made good hires as well. But, uh, you know, Scott Woodward, uh, when he was at A&M a short time, hires Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams. That's pretty stellar. You know, <laughs> uh, he followed Eric Hyman in there and uh, and made two two hires that made all the sense in the world that were big time guys. Uh, and he's done that throughout his career. But there's very few that uh, you can point to and go, oh, yeah, they, these guys never made never read a bad heart. Danny White's one of them, you know, that went to Tennessee. Uh, so it's unrealistic to sit there and say, you know, Ray can't hire anybody based on Holbrook and Muschamp. Um, that's the Holbrook hire. Anybody had Ray Tanner walked out the door and Hyman stayed. Guess what, folks? Chad Holbrook's getting hired. There's no question about it that the, the Tar Heel would have hired the former Tar Heel. You know, Hyman helped get Holbrook to Carolina. All right, South Carolina, Carolina. It's Carolina for the purposes of this podcast. So, uh, you know, those of you that long for the days of Eric Hyman, um, I'll tell you right now, he would have done the same thing and hired Chad Holbrook. People are like, well, he held on to Holbrook too long. Well, that's not true either. 
Um, if you look back at, unless you just want to be a complete hard ass, uh, which Ray is not, uh, but just a jerk, uh, and you want to just, you know, micromanage the program that you built. Um, yeah, the minute he didn't make the NCAA, yeah, just fire him, okay? <laughs> and then you're firing a guy that was super regional, regional host, uh, and then had a bad year, the first non-NCAA tournament year for Carolina in 15 years. And in baseball, if you know anything about that sport, it's not an undefeated sport, and eventually – Eventually, you know, you're going to have a down year. It's uh, the Ray Tanner era was special, not only because of the championships and the trips to Omaha, but because consistently every year, every one of us could count on, you know, that the team, no matter how good or bad it was, you know, there were some teams that got knocked out in the regionals. There were some teams that a lot of teams that lost super regionals, but you knew that when it came to postseason baseball, the Gamecock baseball team was going to give it everything they had until the final out. And they were, you know, even in some series and regional situations, they came up short. They battled and battled and battled until the final out. And that's hard in that sport to remain consistent. So, so when you consider all that, you know, you probably 90% of the people out there are going to give him a pass and say, all right, just do better next year in year four. Well, in year four, he goes to the Super Regionals. Now, against Oklahoma State and that Super Regional at home, I call it the Sunbake Regional because both first pitches were at noon and it was about 100 degrees in Columbia at the time. And, and, and I don't think that team that time against that, that team in that series battled until the final out. Uh, you know, but you don't fire him because that's two super regionals and uh, a regional host in three out of four years. And the recruiting was allegedly going well and all that. So then you get to the next year and uh, oh, wait, wait a minute. No NCAA tournament again. All right, you're gone, which is fair. You, you know, you have to live up to the standards of the program. If Mark Kingston has a bad year this year, can make a case for change. Baseball at the University of South Carolina is, is a tradition-rich program. And uh, Ray Tanner was, what, the, the third coach they'd had since the early 70s? You know, uh, but sometimes great programs in all sports, when a legend like that retires and they've had, uh, you know, you think about North Carolina basketball, uh, going from Frank McGuire to Dean Smith all those years, you know, and all that success. And then, ah, oh, well, here we go. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> uh, Bill Guthridge, Matt Doherty. Uh, and then they finally got it right with Roy coming back. Alabama football, after the Bear resigned, you know, you go Ray Perkins, Bill Curry. Gene Stallings gets it back. Well, then he leaves. Mike DeBose, Mike Price, Mike Shula, uh, the Mikes. Dennis Francione is in there somewhere. Uh, and then all of a sudden, oh, this is Nick Saban. So, so great programs do go through sort of a revolving door. What you don't want to be is Tennessee football <laughs> and uh, do what that happens. So, 
So to me, you know, the, the criticism about the hire is, okay, Ray made a bad hire in Muschamp or a hire that didn't work out. Um, I still maintain that factually through 34 games and Muschamp ended up coaching 58, but through 34 games, Muschamp was on schedule. I don't know what happened. I don't know why the bottom fell out, but it did. And frankly, it did at Florida too. And that's something that when you go to hire Will Muschamp again, if you're somebody, you you have to address and figure out why. Uh, I do think that the buyout, the number of the buyout was normal. Um, what I did not agree with and what was egregious and there was no reason for was the contract extension uh, after year three, uh, restoring the contract to six years. Uh, recruits that were looking for five. And so, yeah, there was no need to tackle on that extra year. So that's the bottom line. So, so that's what Ray's done. I mean – some of the optic stuff, you know, I do think Ray could use a uh, not a PR person, but a like a, a political communications person <laughs> to drive some narratives because, you know, he he's you know he's not he's a steady guy. You know, he's not going to go raise cane and stuff like that. And he maintains professionalism, and that's all well and good. But sometimes you need that very stern uh, response to things and or a more crafty response. You need to get out ahead of things. Uh, and then, you know, there's been some bumps in the road with that, but that's, that's, that's the university of South Carolina, man. That's been going on for 30 years, no matter who's there. Since I was a kid, the, the PR area of that university has sucked for years and that's nothing against, uh, you know, guys like Steve Fink who have athletics communications and the job they do is SIDs. I think they've been fantastic. Uh, I'm talking about they need like a, you know, it's not PR or, or media relations. It's it's a somebody sitting in there in a war room, <laughs> you know, rocking it out. And so that's uh, that's the deal there. And, and, and I say it sucked, but it may just not even exist. You know, maybe what I'm talking about doesn't exist there. So, uh, yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on Ray Tanner. I, I continue to maintain that most athletic directors out there are suits that have their athletic backgrounds consist of fundraising or working in communications or something like that. I'm not sure what makes that makes them more qualified to do that uh, compared to a coach that's been around athletics his whole life and has done some administrative work, but, you know, more power to you. I mean, i I thought Eric Hyman, as as much as I disagreed with some of his decisions, uh, you look at his background, Eric Hyman was once a football coach. Uh, you know, he coached before he got into administration. And that that's one of the reasons why, you know, you look at what he did at TCU. That's one of the reasons why Carolina, you know, he came in right after Spurrier was hired, had to replace Mike McGee. That, that's one of the reasons that was a, a nationally lauded hire. Uh, because that that was a guy that was considered, you know, one of the best ads in the country. So, uh, and he did for for kind of how he operates, he did a really good job uh, at Carolina. But I I don't think Ray is doing a bad job, and I'm thankful that Eric Hyman never had to hire a football coach. So that's my point there. All right, so Eric continues, Eric Hill. 
Also, what are your thoughts on the overall feel of the program? It seems to me that hope, excitement, energy, and the overall life of the program is headed in a very positive direction. Man, I can't wait for a packed Willie B. Yeah, let's hope the vaccine gets out there. Uh, it's going to be a fun ride, and I'm pretty sure that the new Debo, Debo Williams, the linebacker, is going to rip someone's head off. Yeah, that guy, he's not afraid of contact. We'll see when he gets into practice, you know, instincts, you know, reading your keys, the, the things that go into being a great linebacker. Let's see what he does there. But, boy, he's he's not afraid of contact. And at the very least, when you're putting – if you're Pete Limbo and you're putting together your kickoff team, he may be the first guy you, you, you say, hey, come on. Come on, be on the kickoff team. Um, and yeah, I, I I I was very very adamant about there needing to be so, so adamant there needed to be a season in college football. Uh, I, I said many times, okay, it doesn't matter if the fans are there or not. Uh, they need to play. It's, it's it's you know all on TV, all that good stuff. But as the season wore on, and especially when we got to the bowls and the playoffs and the championship game and you just, it's just depressing to look at hard rock stadium in Miami for the national championship. And, you know, it looks like uh looks like a Braves game in September when they're out of the playoff hunt uh, and you turn on TBS or whatever, and you see a bunch of bleachers and that's depressing. And I'm, I started to miss that more and more, you know, I'm sitting there watching that Carolina Kentucky game at the end of the year and there's nobody, in the stands in Lexington, and they're piping in. And it just it just seemed like a scrimmage to me. And I think part of what makes college football, college athletics great, are the fans and the crowds and the pageantry and the Gamecock walk in 2001 and all that. And I, know they, I think they did have 2001 this year, but all that stuff. And so I'm looking forward to when it comes back too. And not just that, uh, you know, I, I, even in like pro baseball, I mean – Major League Baseball, as far as piping and crowd noise, did a great job. Because you know how you hear, like, between pitches when you're listening to a game on the radio or you're watching on TV, the, the announcers in baseball don't talk a million miles an hour. They, 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 they have quiet moments where you hear the, hear the crowd. Here's the pitch. You know, dun 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 dun. No, rubble, 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 You know, they did a great job of piping that in during baseball season this year. But uh, and then when I got the playoffs, uh, yeah, there were enough fans in the stands to make some noise out in Arlington, and I'm still upset about the Dodgers and Braves series. But uh, I miss the crowds at Major League. I miss being able to go to a Major League game. I mean, you know, just sitting there having a beer and a hot dog watching the Braves or, or whoever, you know, and, and, you know, Gamecock football, I've, I've in my life, like, you know, I've, I've got a lot of new people, you know, in the past couple of years. Uh, and some of them have never been to Williams Bryce uh, for a football game. Uh, and I couldn't go this year, you know, I could have, but it wouldn't have been the same. And so, yeah, I, I miss that, and I think, I think that's something that it's not talked about a lot that probably wears on people because I think most of us just sat there and said, "All right, just have a season. I'll watch it on TV," and we were willing to trade that off. But you know, by the time the season was over, and not just not just Carolina, but watching other teams, man, it bummed me out. I mean, it bummed me out. You know, 
So uh, that's uh, that's that. But yeah, it's going to be exciting. Uh, and and I, I hope and I, I have faith and belief that you know by the time football kicks off, everything's going to be back to normal. Uh, as far as the majority of people who want it will get the uh, get the vaccine, and those that don't, you know, I, I, I honestly, I, nobody, you know, just because a bunch of people don't want to get the vaccine doesn't mean we need to keep shutting things down because that's their choice. You know, they can live with it. So we'll see kind of what happens moving forward. All right. So everybody's fired up, ready to go on Twitter. It seems the coaches, just Zach Pickens just put out a highlight deal. So that's good. And so we'll see uh, how all that works, folks. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. I think uh, this has been a fun week here on the podcast and more to come next week uh, right here. And uh, I hope you guys all, you know, have a good one uh, this whole weekend and uh, and all that. Not sure how much more coaching news is going to come out, so the focus probably will go to recruiting. So next week, probably going to talk a lot of basketball, a lot of recruiting, a lot of portal, uh, maybe start diving into some 2022 players uh, and go from there as this thing continues to, to rock and roll. Remember, Beamer said tentatively spring practice will start March 20th. Tentatively, the spring game will be April 24th. I think you can do a socially distant spring game because you usually get, you know, no more than 20,000 in there for those games anyway. So maybe they cap it at 15 and they have a normal spring game. So anyway, we'll see what happens there. All right, this is J.C. Sherbert signing off. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Everyone have a wonderful weekend.